The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S.com. Corey, how do you like your nipples? Toasty. You like your nipples draped in luxury? All the time. All the time? Well, if you love luxurious feeling nipples, I suggest you go and support some of the people who sponsor our show. Huh? 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 I don't see how I could not. <laughs> go ahead and take you and your nipples, and you're going to go over to our first one, which is uh, he does all our art. He's a really good friend of ours, uh, Brad Gunnarsson, Statusphere Merch, statusphere.merch.com. Use the coupon code TERROR. Get, you, get yourself 15% off of your order there. And furthermore, you can take take the same set of nipples, head over to thehate.com, T-H-E-H-V-I-I-I.com, three eyes. Use HBG15, get you 15% off there, treat yourself and your nipples. And I only wish I had more than three nipples to use. Welcome to episode 80 of the Podcast of Terror production of the Galactic Network. I'm your host, Matt Stein, and uh, finally... Not being a donkey dick anymore. Corey's back. Hi, Corey. Hi. Uh, so a lot of people thought maybe I was traveling or that I was ill. The truth is, is that Matt finally got sick of my shit about Santa Slay, so he locked me up in a basement and just left it on repeat <laughs> for four weeks. Um, so I now love Goldberg. Corey has been rehabilitated. <clears throat> hey, I saw Goldberg wrestle for 30 seconds a couple weeks ago. And won $30 on because of it. So. This week we are joined by co-host of the Geek Cinema Society, which can be found over on Blazing Caribou Studios. She claims she doesn't do anything else, but I beg to differ. Nicole Davis. Nicole, how are you? Uh, not too bad. I just watched our movie again today. Should probably... So I'm in this very weird mindset. Oh, God. So. I, can't, I, have no, I have no doubt in my mind. <laughs> should probably also mention the fact that we were supposed to do this like almost two months ago and then we had to reschedule i think i was sick we can blame it on me and then and you uh, made me wait so long wow. <laughs> we have such a long waiting list of people that want to be on our podcast that this is just the way it is oh, except well, for me that's fucking except Corey. who did i fail to bribe you correctly was the hand job not good enough what i happened? want burritos I was going to say brownies, and I'm like, I actually prefer burritos to brownies. So, um, put Burrito t- hand job. Say marry the two, and <laughs> you, you are on top. And <laughs> oh. Don't put the, don't, not too much hot sauce. Oh, God. By the way, the, 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 highest compliment, the highest compliment any hand job can get is good enough. That's pretty much it. <laughs> that's, that's the top of the line. Oh, man. It's just something weird about hand jobs. Sometimes they're sad. <laughs> they're never happy. It's never like a happy-go-lucky whistling walking down the street hand job. I mean, it is. That, that would be something to see two people walking down the street, one of them giving a hand job to the other. I'm one. thinking of his enemy <laughs> with Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh Jesus! Oh. And sad Keanu. I can't really see that. <clears throat> For more on this podcast, including show notes, content information, subscription links, you can go to gncast.com slash pot. You can chat with us on our Slack channel about hand jobs over at gncast.com slash sign up. And while you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which has nothing to do about hand jobs. 
Um, we're going to spoil the, the shit. I forgot what year this movie's from. Anybody? 2009. 2009. We're going to do 2009's Korean movie Thirst, which was really fucking strange and full of sex scenes, but we'll get into that later. And uh, I have a potty mouth, which is... You do. I do. Yeah, it's nothing new if you've been here before, but if you're new, get out the swear jar, or you can do the drinking game where every time I swear, you can drink. You might be dead, but... You know what you got yourself into. And because one of our listeners called me out on the fact that I never point out the beers that I'm drinking today, I'm drinking off-color brewing dino s'mores. Dino s'mores? Yep. It is a s'mores-flavored stout. Hmm. Why is it a dino? I have no idea. It's just kind of It's got a mouse roasting a marshmallow on the bottle. All I know is that it's good as dick. It's it's better than a handjob. Doesn't take much. I was going to say, it's not saying a whole lot, but this is better than 10,000 hand jobs. Wow. Okay, see. now that is saying a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is. Refractory period. a hand job a day for like, how many years is that? Like well, okay, so you think about it. I got to get out a calculator. So if a hand job takes <laughs> on average five minutes, okay, if she's good, it'll be five minutes. Now there's a 20 minute cool down before it works again. So if you got how many twenty four times sixty, <laughs> so there's fourteen hundred and forty minutes in a day divided by twenty five, you can have fifty seven point six hand jobs in a day. Wow! So ten thousand. Would you even want? Oh no! It'd, it'd be like shooting. It'd be shooting dust. Job. It'd be shooting dust <laughs> by the tenth one. Uh, that would take one hundred and seventy three point six one days to get ten thousand hand jobs if you were getting tugged off nonstop. <laughs> I remember once a year it's your birthday, so they light a candle oh. and they try to shoot it out. Jesus Christ! Just oh man, it, it, my dick we've, hurts. We've about this. already gone taking this straight down the toilet, guys. Uh, yep. Uh, by the time <laughs> we're gonna be back and bring this show back up to the nice level of mediocrity that you're used to. Right. All right. Now, what's Corey drinking there? Uh, iced tea. Oh, I was gonna oh. say root beer. <laughs> yeah, Corey doesn't drink. Uh, for the connoisseur. Lipton. Lipton. <laughs> sweetened, unsweetened, hint of lemon, hint of handjob. Totally unsweetened. Yeah, I, it's just dirty water. That's that's all I'm into. <laughs> just I took, you scoop water out of the toilet. Uh, I'm a tea snob, and I would say categorically that Lipton is not tea. It's, it's, exactly. It is the sweepings off the floor. Wow. Of well, the it's not. It's not nesty. That's that's the worst. <laughs> Jesus. True. See, I I myself have caffeine free diet Pepsi with uh, crack and rum in it. So oh oh, so you can just put crack rocks in your diet Pepsi. Release the kraken. Oh so. kraken! I thought you said crack kraken. and rum. Crack like, and no. rum. Just a shot of no, boy, a shot of rum. Be something, wouldn't it? Crack rock. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the is a sprinkle you thing? And, <laughs> relax you and wake you up simultaneously. <laughs> and also send you on some sort of murder spree. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and cover some news. Uh, first up, we got some guy named J.D. Dillard, who we all had to look up. Actually, Nicole looked him up and told us about him. Um, it appears he has not really done much, but he is currently in talks to direct the remake of The Fly. I think uh, this is weird. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I also, I also thought it was really weird that The Fly hasn't been remade before. The, the fly that we remember, the Cronenberg version from the 80s itself is a remake. 
Yes, because um, yes. the original's from '58, right? I believe so. Yeah. So it 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 has been remade before, and it it seems like okay. Then of course they'll remake it again, and then they'll remake it again. I I, I think that what was more interesting to me is that the day that this was announced this week. Uh, the same day they had announced that there's probably going to be either a remake or a prequel or something done with the Matrix, uh, mm-hmm. which is far more blasphemous to me. It's Why? not. It is not a remake or a reboot. It is more movies set in the Matrix universe. So it's right. going to be like a Rogue One kind of thing. I believe for so. The Matrix? They're expanding mm-hmm. it now. Although there's still rumors that uh, the actor might be playing a young Morpheus. I don't. I don't know how to take any of that. It, <sighs> the Matrix to me is is a is a perfect film with uh, yeah. two sequels that are easily ignored, and it, it it's also a, a a thing from a perfect moment in time where it just worked incredibly well for that. And now to try to do that twenty years later seems a little strange to me. Yeah. Are the Wachowskis but, involved at all? I don't think. No, so. that's the other rumor. Is that so far they are not. <sighs> But but why would they want to go back to it? You know, they're doing different things. Uh, their Sense Eight show, I I think, is phenomenal on, I think uh, on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, but be that as it may, the the Fly is a little different. The the Cronenberg movie did just an incredible job of updating what was the original story of making it creepy. The the um, the Goldblum effect. Is, is the only way to really describe it. I mean, you cannot do better than Jeff Goldblum in that creepy role as the the Brundlefly. I, I think that it's it's an idealized version of that film. Do I look forward to seeing someone else's take on the fly? I don't know. I mean, it's it's not terribly different from uh, the what was the Metamorphosis, the the movie the short film about the guy who turned into a, a cockroach the kafka story the kafka story correct uh-huh. um it, that's sort of what the the theme of it is and this director uh jd dillard looks like he's done mostly uh his own work he's he's a writer director producer so he might have a vision for it that that stands out that does something new or maybe that they're looking at him as saying, well, you're the new upcoming director. So let's give you something that we own and see what you can do with it and, and try to get you to that next level, which is kind of too bad because it takes somebody who has a, has their own ideas and their own voice. And it's like, and it forces them into the cookie cutter world of what films already have as far as expectations. I'd rather see something original. Hmm. Well, I mean, if he can take it in a different, as far of a different direction as Cronenberg did from the original, which I think had a French director, I want to say, or uh, the director with a French name in any case. Um, but if he's trying to go in the same vein, it's going to be hard to beat the gross out climax of the 1986 The Fly, because that's that's legendary in its nausea generation and horrificness. So I've never seen it. Throwing that out there now. Oh. Uh, I know. Oh, well, maybe you should do it on your podcast. I know. <laughs> I should. 
here's a crazy idea. You I do know. a podcast about horror movies. <laughs> I wish there was a medium in which I could watch this movie and provide... I wish there was a reason I would need to watch this. I really remember liking the sequel more. Oh my god, uh, the sequel's horrible. I know, but it, as a kid, it was Daphne like... Zuniga. Oh yeah, well that's probably part of it is Daphne Zuniga, of course, I had a huge crush on her, but... <laughs> Just in general. And Eric Stoltz was a badass uh, at that point in time in my life. I, I don't know why I loved I Oh, they did something really cruel with a dog in it. Maybe that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just, because it was the kids, uh, mm-hmm. I probably related to a little bit more than I did the original. And it, it seemed to have, moralistically, it tried to get to something better at the end than what the first one did the first one was really about the becoming the monster and how much of a monster uh goblin's brindle became <laughs> but it didn't make me sing songs from earth girls are easy which is you know always a reason to watch goblin oh, and gina david god i love that movie <laughs> I, I love it unabashedly i have not seen that movie in a very long time but i've seen it um Let's move on to the next story. Unless you want to, do you have anything else about the fly you want to cover? Corey, uh, Corey loves the sequels more than anything. He's, he has a <laughs> fanfic, The Fly 3, written under his bed. It's true. It, it scars uh, Nazi gremlins, actually. <sighs> Interesting. Flying Nazi gremlins, one would assume. Oh, no. I think she just kicked it up a notch. <laughs> We're working on a podcast called Gremlins 3, not, uh, what is it? Gremlins in Outer Space in Nazi Germany. Ooh. Yep. Well, so, you've almost got that with Iron Sky with the Nazis from space. That's true. And then there's the zombie so, Nazis one, too. But dead is, Snow. But these yeah. are gremlins. So, <laughs> and they fly. Well, there will be a, a troop of flying gremlins. We'll have to add that in. Okay. <laughs> Corey, take a note. Uh, <laughs> noted and forgot. <laughs> no. uh, uh, the next uh, story we have is uh, famed horror artist Bernie Wrightston is dead at 68. Oh. Yeah. If you're not familiar with who Bernie is, he uh, most notably it, to me, uh, he did the animated film Heavy Metal. Or he did a segment of it, excuse me, the Captain Stern segment. Right. Yeah. Not the segment you would expect after watching. We watched Heavy Metal for our podcast, and I would have thought it would be the segment with the uh, the the crew in the like the B forty two bomber in mm-hmm. World War Two thing where they all turn into skeletons. But it's not. It's the it's the goofy one with the captain on trial. I have not seen Heavy Metal in a very very long time. I remember watching Heavy Metal two thousand when I was a kid, thinking I was a badass, and I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> I might just be no. Well, Heavy Metal 2000, I think, became more about uh, Kevin Eastman's love for his his wife and and featuring her as much as possible. Uh, How else is he going to get some pussy? Uh, Eastman does okay for himself. He's super fucking rich. But wow, well, you know, well, he's as got far as, money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Bernie Wrightson, uh, one of the co-creators of uh, Swamp Thing, or at least was very well yeah. known for Swamp Thing through DC, did a lot of horror comics uh, at House of Mystery of DC, uh, did stuff for Marvel, mm-hmm. did stuff with um, Warren Publishing for a long number of years. But I, I wasn't as aware of some of the things he did. Like he did a lot of the artwork for Stephen King's novels. Uh, including things like the uh, the movie poster for Creepshow, uh, 
But just in general, if you pick up things like The Stand or from a Biogate or The Dark Hour 5, you'll find Artson's artwork or Wrightson's artwork in in those books, uh, which is one of those things that it's just kind of like that's kind of amazing how how around the the world he went with his with his art. Plus, he worked on the uh, Mary Shelley uh Frankenstein novel he did 50 pen and ink illustrations over several years for that which I remember seeing a lot in the comic stores like I because I'm a comic fan because I hang out with a lot of comic artists and stuff writes mm-hmm. is one of those names that is just like everybody talks about him everybody loves him uh, he's been a huge influence on many different creators and and just a, a brilliant person in general but he, he's also he's always come across as a really good guy. Uh, he's beloved, not just because of his art, because of who he's, who he is. Um, and he retired, I want to say about a year or so ago mm-hmm. because he was dealing with brain cancer. And, um, Oh, that would explain it. I actually met him about a year and a half ago at Boston comic-con. And I asked, I had him sign my, it was actually the first comic book I ever read was the X-Men Heroes for Hope special, which was to raise money for uh, the famine in Somalia at the time. Yep. And uh, Bernie Wrightson illustrated the small section that <clears throat> Stephen King had written. It was sort of an all-star book that was put together where each author did a few pages and different artists did a few pages. And, you know, I chatted with him for a couple minutes about that, and he he did not look well at all he looked much older than 67 at the time so that's that's a shame that's a shame yeah damn shame he did beautifully detailed work i mean like i can't imagine how long it took him to do each illustration there's such just so much line work in every one it's incredible damn shame yeah and he did um he worked on films as a conceptual artist for Ghostbusters, The Faculty, Galaxy Quest, Spider-Man, oh, wow. Land of the Dead, and The Mist. Um, so he's he's had a very large contribution to to horror films on top of all of his his artistry and, and horror comics and classic comics. So he it it's a big body of work to to respect for this guy, and uh, he will he'll definitely be missed. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to something less sad. Um, <clears throat> NBC is set to premiere, or excuse me, they set the premiere date for their summer series, Midnight Texas. Um, it'll be coming out Tuesday, July 25th uh, in a 10 to 11 time slot, which just sounds kind of strange. But uh, are either of you familiar with this at all? No, never heard of it. Um, so we talked on... about it when it got announced uh, last That's year at thought. some point. Uh, it is from Charlene Harris, who did oh, okay. the True Blood series, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, one of the, I think the producers from Mr. Robot is exec producing this, but it it doesn't sound too far off from the premise of True Blood, uh, so it's best on the best-selling book series by Charlene Harris, uh, Midnight Texas stars... Uh, Francois Arnaud as Manfred, a charming, powerful psychic who can communicate with spirits and find safety at midnight, uh, which is a town surrounding himself with both human and supernatural allies. So there is a 
local pawn shop owner. There is a witch who runs the Wiccan shop. There is a mysterious assassin. There is an angel who knows all the town's secrets. There is a wise vampire. There is somebody who can't resist the pull of the full moon. And an aspiring writer. I, it just sounds like this such sounds a like rehash. a hot mess. Yeah, it, it really <laughs> sounds like it. every stroke we can put into it. Um, we're just going to do them all over again. And, and and I think that's kind of what True Blood became as it went along. Is like True Blood be- started out as a series about a town with vampires. And there was a, a psychic in the, the lead part. But then they started involving every other you know, horror genre trope into it. And it sounds like that's the starting place for this. And yeah. it just, it it's so familiar and it's so overplayed. And it, it's funny to me that she's got her True Blood series and then she's apparently got this other book series that sounds just like True Blood that, well, I guess as an author, that's what you do is you just hedge your bets. You just keep writing the same kind of stuff over and over again and hope that if it takes off for one audience, then they'll keep buying your other stuff too. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows how much know. money she made off of that? So the residuals will keep her going till yeah. she's she'll keep keep her heirs going for years to come. I venture, yeah, and I, don't... I venture this lasts one season tops. Yeah, I don't it know how many be. people want to see True Blood that made for TV as opposed to like, part of what set it apart on HBO was all the the sex and, and hyper-violence and stuff that they got to do because it was an HBO series. Um, but again, I can't NBC argue with did... the sex in that series. That's, uh, yeah. that's... Uh, but NBC did Hannibal and that was much darker than what we expected from them when it came out. And it, it would be nice if they, if they put that same effort into this, it just seems like, I mean, my expectations are, are not high because I expect it's going to be kind of the, the silliness of what true blood was, which I only, I did it at a segment on else nerds or probably the show that was pre else nerds called. I ain't got time to TV where I watched the first episode of the show and then the last episode of the show oh. and just kind of decided how it went. Um, <laughs> yeah. You kind of missed a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. But that, that's the whole point of the segment. It's just to be an asshole. Right. Um, it, it, it seemed like a pretty silly show. It, it, it didn't seem to be trying to take itself seriously, which is not bad. It's right. just that it's a, a different kind of, of horror thing than what we usually watch on here, although today is going to be a test. No, it's um, a silly show that knows it's a silly show. Yeah. And and it was popular for a number of, of seasons, so maybe this will be something that catches people's attention again. It's just, like, I've seen several shows lately that have had Angels involved. Lucifer is on Fox right now. Uh, Constantine, I think, had one before that oh, on that NBC. Did. NBC keeps trying shows like this, and they keep not working out. None of them are proving to be very popular on regular uh, broadcast television at the moment. It, it, they seem to all struggle. So might as well keep just trying. Just keep that same well. Yeah. <sighs> at least it's not another fucking CSI or Criminal Intent or whatever. Whatever, man. NCIS, SVU, CSI. Those are always on in my house. Not by my choice. <laughs> it's not cool. It's not cool. Yeah. Let's move on to something that is cool. Mm. Stupid fucking Midnight Texas. Um, a fan <laughs> has made a miniature version of Dairy Maine, and it's 
actually creepy how detailed this thing is. Um, if you're not familiar, Dairy Main is the setting for the movie It. And if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know that, I don't need to finish that sentence. Well, it's no, it's setting it, for a bunch of Stephen King books. Is it really? See, I, I, I know yes. not a ton about Stephen King, but I know enough. Um, I didn't know more. There was multiple stuff. And is now Ashley's in our chat. I'm curious if Dairy Main is a real place, or it's <sighs> a real place with a different name for his books. I believe so. I think so too, but I'm, I'm not a New Englander, so it's it sure sounds familiar. If you give me two seconds, I can use this magic device in front of me to see. Wait, wait, wait! wait. You have a box <laughs> in front of you that you can type questions into, and then it gives you answers. Yes. Holy it's fuck! How did I not know about this thing? <laughs> Uh, so I don't I'm, believe it. I'm trying to see if there's. So, nope, fictional town. It is a fictional <laughs> town. Okay, okay. Um, but it's but based it around. It certainly sounds like a the ta- the name of a main town. Yes, yes. And it's based around the the same. <clears throat> conceptually, he's he's had a lot of his his stories go through Dairy Main. I mean, Stephen King's stories, most of them do interconnect in some way. Uh, we used to, when I worked at a bookstore years ago, there was uh, books that were sort of annotations about how the, the different characters crossed over and where you would find things like where rental flag would show up. Um, and, and even if you look at things like, uh, not Creepshow, but the other one that Stephen King did an anthology called Black Cat, I think, that <clears throat> was several short stories. Cat's Eye? Had a, Cat's Eye, that's it. Yeah, okay. James Woods and Drew Barrymore yeah. uh, all doing short films. Uh, and they they had some of the characters kind of show up in the, the opening of it. They had Cujo. Uh, they, I think they did a few other things that were in there. It was, it was cute. It was kind of silly, but it kind of shows like Stephen King's stories have gone through so many different um, ideas and stuff and how they all can tie together. And since... It is getting made into a film next mm-hmm. year. This year. Or, or this year. September 8th. And uh, Dark Tower, I think, has got something coming up, the the yeah. movie slash TV series that they're trying to work on for that. This is a pretty spectacular visual to kind of get together. I think some of the other things, like the body maybe come through this, um, which is Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else would have shown up in here. But this is this is just beautiful. I think needful like is, things. <clears throat> yeah. Either in dairy yeah. or mentions dairy, certainly. Yes. Yeah, and this is kind of like a, it, it looks like it was a sort of old style um, a vanity mm-hmm. or or it's something that used to hold maybe a record player or something. It's it's just got this, this back plate to it that has been painted to look like a skyline and then the top of it is all the town and then you open up the doors for it underneath, uh, and it's it's the sewers that you would see uh, Pennywise hanging out in, in it, and it's it's just phenomenal. It's one of those things that we're not going to be able to do it justice, so we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, but if you get a chance, you should definitely check this out. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I really like that she's got like some sort of uh, carved resin to show the water flowing down into mm-hmm. the sewers. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty damn good. Oh, I never made this. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. 
Um, that's going to do it for news this week. Now we're going to get into this movie. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Well, that tells you all you need to know about how Matt felt about it. (laughs) I don't, and I, uh, there's so many sex scenes, but I will let. And that's a bad thing? What happened? When they're uncomfortable, yes. <laughs> These are uncomfortable. Which I grant you most of them are. Oh, that's totally true. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, well, um, let's start with the fact that the main character from this is a priest. Yes. Yes. Um, and the priest goes it is having some sort of crisis of faith and volunteers to volunteers himself basically to try to help cure a disease that is going around uh the emmanuel virus yes i think it would yeah mm-hmm. and um in doing so he contracts the virus but he gets a blood transfusion which seemingly cures him of it and and makes him better than he was before makes him healthier than he was before so everyone starts seeing him as sort of this miracle that happened in the fact that he's he survived this virus and all these people who are hoping to see the the entire thing wiped out are looking to him as a kind of savior uh which you would think would be a bigger part of the movie than what it turns out to be yeah it's almost incidental you know there's a when he you know he he goes to the facility in africa that's researching the Emmanuel virus and volunteers for this vaccine experiment. And when he gets back to Korea, there's this encampment outside the, I guess it's a monastery um, where he's been living. And there, there it's almost like a cult has sprung up um, around the, his miraculous recovery. And they believe that if he prays for them, that he can heal people. So, and coincidentally, people he has prayed for, some of them have gotten better, but it's been a purely psychological effect. So, but that's not what the movie's about. No, it's not. (laughs) That's like five minutes. Yeah, that that leads into what happens to him, which is in getting the uh, the treatment and getting the blood transfusion, is our our priest friend becomes a vampire. And that's that's sort of what the movie is about. Yes. What happens when a priest becomes a vampire? And, and he develops going through... not just an appetite for blood, but sort of all appetites of the flesh. Right. And that, that kind of is a, a thing that I see explored sometimes with vampirism films uh, or, or Buffy. They used to do it a lot, which is when you become a vampire... Does it fundamentally change who you are? Do you become less human, not just because of your your desire for blood, but does it do something to your soul that you start to become more debaucherous, do you, that you become more evil, that you don't care about the, the laws of the living anymore? Um, do you start to relish in torture of other people? And and that's, that's sort of the thing with this, is that he's already having a, a, a crisis of conscience in his place in the the priesthood as it is, but he definitely starts developing a, a taste for doing things that are wrong and follows down a, a worse path as he goes along. 
Um, but it doesn't seem completely alien other than the fact that he's just, he's developed this, this need for blood. So he's already having to compromise his morals to get it, but he doesn't become so compromised that he just like willy nilly is going out and killing people. Right. No, he um, tries very hard to get it without killing anyone. Yeah. And that various that means, but it, it is a question of, you know, I'm a vampire now. Am I am I still able to be a good person or not? And and that is his journey, which I found interesting about the film. But he's taken into some very bad places because of part of what it leads him to, which is he finds uh, f- some friends that he knew when he was growing up as a boy and sort of befriends them again and builds an obsession with a young girl that is now married to his friend. She's not a young uh, girl, young woman. Well, yeah, she was a young girl when they knew each other before. Yes. Uh, sorry. And um, but she's married to his friend and takes care of his friend because his friend is sick, too. I think I remember. Right. Um, he has it's esophageal cancer. Right. And she's sort of she's his wife, but she's kind of like the slave to his needs and to the family's needs. And she's in a very abusive relationship with him uh based more around his mother uh than anything but he's not great either right that's a very common trope in korean media of the evil mother-in-law who forces her daughter-in-law to be like the slave for the family so yeah it's like cinderella times a thousand (laughs) yeah but in this case the the priest becomes obsessed with her and they start to have an affair and and that builds into him doing more and more things to compromise moralistically where he starts out at right such a great movie (laughs) (laughs) i think this i think i personally would have liked this movie more had there like and i get the whole point of like now he's really into like everything Everything that he couldn't do as a priest is now like what he what he's doing. But it's uh <sighs> I just like there's all these weird, uncomfortable sex scenes and it and it's like just <laughs> it made me just not want to watch the movie anymore. And um it, unfortunately, like that's all that I really recall from the movie is the sex scenes and, and like the story itself is not terrible. It's just you make it weird. <laughs> that's I know it's it's like I obviously don't mind sex See, scenes. I'd have thought you'd be into weird sex scenes, Matt. I mean, to geez. an extent, there was no <laughs> horses involved, and I really wanted at least a horse. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. There's at least um, one good sex scene, in it, though. I mean, yes, most of them are uncomfortable. One of them's played for humor, definitely. And that's uh, the thing. I I remember at one point wondering, like, <laughs> is it supposed to be funny or not? And like, is the scene where they, you know, at at one point they finally, you know, spoilers, uh, they do away with the woman's husband. Yeah. And they both feel terribly, terribly guilty about it. So the it next sort time of they try part. to have sex, they imagine he's between them and they drowned him mm-hmm. um, to kill him. So they imagine that he's soaking wet 
in between them. So when every time there's thrusting involved, there's just this squish and he's sitting there with this dopey, the husband's lying there with this dopey grin on his face the whole time. And they're just sort of having sex around him. So Through him there. They're, he's definitely between them. Yes. Um, so so every time so. The, the priest who is on top is thrusting, uh, and the woman is underneath the 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 bloated wet corpse of her her husband is between them and he's the one that's getting thrusted it it's right. oh it is uh it is a weird weird thing <laughs> it's and, and this is a movie that goes through some weird things um but that was like and the amount of time that they spent concentrating on that just felt forever like <laughs> This does yep. not feel like a short movie. Uh, and that that's part of it, too, is it just seems to go on and on and on. Yeah. Park, Park Chan-wook is not one to shy away from uncomfortable sequences. He's not one to shy away from extended sex sequences. Um, he's not one to shy away from complicated morality. This so. movie was also, was it the first Korean film to have full frontal male nudity? It was not the first one. There were a couple before, but I think it was the biggest one that was done. It was so the first speak. major movie that had full frontal male nudity in it. So there was some controversy in that. Um, the poster was actually banned initially. The one with um, it's a black background. You see the priest uh, played by Song Kang-ho. Um basically on top of um on top of the woman who is played by uh Kim Okbin and she's like strangling him as she's underneath him and in the band poster you can see her legs uh to either side of his head right. and it looks almost like bat wings um, that's actually the Korean title of the movie is Bakjui, which means the bat. Um, but in the Korean version of the poster, they just black out the space where her legs are. So you just see her strangling him underneath. And so that was okay. But apparently seeing a priest in a sexual context was absolutely not allowed. Yeah. And I've seen the the poster done where it's flipped over where she's, up top and he's down underneath as well. Cause it, it is, it's two stories. I mean, as much as it is the priest story and as much as we focused on him, she becomes a very important part of this. And her story I think is just as compelling as his, uh, but she goes through some pretty drastic changes as it, as it goes along. She comes from being a very sympathetic person uh, at first, because of the fact, like you were saying, the the wicked stepmother or mother-in-law right. who, who's got her being subservient to her husband's needs, everything else. She she's just kind of walking around just sort of dead most of the time. She just has no life, uh, no zeal for life at all. And it's during her affair with the priest that she starts to come out of her shell more. But then she starts to go to very dark places because she realizes now that she's got hope, uh, she wants to change things. She wants to get rid of her husband. So she manipulates the priest into helping her kill him by acting as though she's abused. 
in a physical abuse way uh, as opposed to just the the mental and emotional abuse that she's been suffering and that leads him to help her kill him by drowning him in the the lake and then she just continues down that path until we get to a point where she essentially gets embraced and then it gets way crazy yes that's true so i'm not going to get in your way of your discussion of this (laughs) so well i mean i can tell you that you know my my boyfriend has watched this with me a couple of times and he doesn't like it because um he thinks that the turn in her personality is too big between when she is living her uh, sort of muted life as a human and when she becomes a vampire he thinks she kind of goes around the bend too far too fast and and that's I sort of know. what i was talking I about would, earlier i would that's argue... what i meant by sorry go, go ahead, ahead. <laughs> that's what i meant by does is turning into a vampire make you does it derail your humanity completely does it turn you into an actual evil creature or not and with the priest, you don't see that to the same degree. But with her, when she when she becomes a vampire, she changes drastically. But at the end of the film, we see almost as a as a last resort of like, okay, my my life is is definitely over now. That moment of sudden regret. Um, but she really does take to like, I'm immortal now. There's nothing that holds me back from from being who I want to be or doing what I want to do. And so she just, she goes balls out and just <laughs> like, doesn't give a fuck about anybody. And it's, no. it's pretty horrifying because she becomes like the monster that he's trying to keep himself from being. She fully embraces it. Right. No, but I mean, I think she, I don't think it's as big of a stretch. I think the turning into a vampire sort of amplifies certain things um that are already inside the person but you know because she had already been there were a couple of things she was doing to sort of keep her sanity in this household where she really doesn't like her husband and she really doesn't like her mother-in-law and she would go running in the middle of the night you know she'd she'd walk out the front of theona they live above a hanbok shop that they run um and the hanbok is the traditional uh, Korean national dress. Um, And she would go out in the middle of the night and go run in her bare feet, just kind of run out all her frustration. Um, But she would also sometimes take her, her thread snips and as her husband was snoring, would sort of just make motions as if she was going to drive those thread scissors into the back of his throat um, right. While his mouth's hanging open. So, I mean, she's not entirely stable to start with. And she also knew there were good things about her family as well. She, you know, her husband, she was injuring herself with the thread snips from time to time as part of uh, keeping herself together. And he thought that it was the mental patients at the hospital she was volunteering at who were hurting her. And the husband was actually kind of taking care of her and concerned about her. Um, 
And then one night she also overhears the mother-in-law talking about how uh, she thinks her daughter-in-law is actually a really good person at heart and she's going to leave her the Hanbok shop when she dies. Um, so Teju is the name of the wife, the character, and Teju, so Teju knows that her mother-in-law and her husband are not all bad and she's already doing some nutty things. So when she yeah. turns, she just kind of gets turned up to 11 um, and becomes uh, conscienceless or at least very nearly so. You know, she's like, does the fox feel guilty for killing the chicken? You know, so why should I feel guilty for killing humans for my food? Whereas the yeah, priest and, is still trying very hard not to kill people. And 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 part of that too is that she she basically she asks him or she she allows him the the ability to kill her. You know, when when he confronts her, when he realizes that she manipulated him into helping kill her husband and he's just so pissed off and and she just basically says, Well then kill me then and he does, but right. it's it's his not even necessarily guilt. It's probably just the fact that he can't live with the fact of what he's become already, that he brings her back that after he's killed her, he decides to then turn her into a vampire instead. And so when she comes back to life, everything that she does at that point is completely on him. You know, he's, he's amplifies what he's already done of like, I've allowed myself to do terrible things because of, my disease for one, but then I allowed myself to do terrible things because of the fact that I love this woman. Um, but then he, he still brings her back and she does even worse things. She's way worse than he could have ever imagined himself to be. He thinks she's going to be like him and she's not. Right. And so that, that makes the, the confrontation happen uh, where, Oh man, the scene at the end with the, the friends visiting the family where the, the mother is now in a semi catatonic state, but recognizes what's going on, recognizes that they are not human, recognizes that they killed her son. She manages to signal the friends that are over there playing cards with them and lets them know. And then it's immediately like, well, now we got to kill y'all. Uh, so, right. We're not going to be nice yeah. about it either. Mahjong, uh, crew. Right. Come over every Wednesday. So and say, yeah, the son's boss and then like the he works at a dam for some reason. And so his boss like the manager at the dam and the head of security at the dam and then the manager's wife all come over every Wednesday to play mahjong. And um yeah, so when they come over after the son has died to kind of comfort the, what they think is comforting the mother and the wife, um, the mother signals them and somehow through this very elaborate um, sequence of her writing, uh, you know, Korean lettering with one finger on her chair, they somehow extrapolate that to these two people killed my son. And so they decide, well, these guys have to die. Um, and the priest, I think, goes out, leaves the room. So he leaves it to, he leaves it to Teju to kill them for him because he can't bring himself to do it. 
but he yeah, allows he it by leaving. He doesn't try to save them except for Evelyn at the end, I think. Yeah, it becomes so just and not even in denial, just like I, I can't control anything. He he sort of goes into her role of of she's she's got all the power and he's just kind of wandering through because he doesn't know how to disallow it at this point. You know, and and it it's practically the, the what which she started at is is that she's doing all these things that is making his life miserable, but he can't stop himself from letting her. Um and it's oh man, he at that point in time though, he does start to put forth an effort. He's he they had gone through I I think we missed the point where they fought on the rooftops where they're Yes an actually really cool vampire fight between the two of them uh, where he's trying to convince her that she can't be this way. And she's like, why would I not be this way? You know, why are you not this way? Right. Yeah. But he, he starts to realize that he has to put an end to it. And he's had a couple of moments like this where he's tried to pull back his manity or at least make up for some of the things he's done. Like he did not embrace the priest that was his mentor um, when it, when he found out that he was a vampire who just wanted his eyes to work again before he died, uh, he refused that. That's why he left the uh, the monastery. He goes and pretends to rape a girl where all the people who have been worshiping are at to get them to long no longer look at him like a savior. Um, he does these things to try to break away from being looked at as this hero because he doesn't see himself as a hero. Uh, but in the end, he realizes that he has to stop her and he has to stop his own existence. Right. Yeah, I mean, when he first discovers what he is, when he first realizes that he's a vampire, he's, you know, he almost, he, he accidentally gets someone's blood on him while he's getting giving last rites and licks his thumb and realizes that that has has healed uh part of the the virus blisters that have reappeared on his face and the minute he realizes what he is he throws himself out a window um i mean and, by the way because that's what you do when you work at a hospital you get somebody's <laughs> blood on you and you you just lick it off just casually yeah that's what i do and just throws himself out the window and lands on a car you know, about three or four stories below. Um, and then after about 10 seconds, gets up, rolls off the car, walks away. So uh, he realizes that's that's not going to work for him. Um, and he spends the rest of the time trying to kind of come to terms with being a vampire and trying to be the least damaging vampire I can he can be, I think. And that's why he won't turn the old priest who wants his eyesight restored um, and he tries not to turn Teju for a long time, but after he kills her, he's so regretful that he does. So, but I mean, that's, I don't know, you know, the, and at the end where they, they kill the Mahjong crowd, he kind of takes the wife of the dam manager and he puts her in a separate room and he lets Teju kill the two men but then he, you know, takes the woman and he's like, well, you know, tells Teju, well, you had your fill, you know, so he he takes the woman off and 
in there's an extended edition apparently that's available only in Korea um, where some of the scenes are lengthened. Uh, there's a little more about the police investigation into the drowning. Um, there's more after Teju um, has, after her husband dies, she has sex with the, with the dam manager. Um, and he, I guess he offers her money and then assaults her. And then, um, the, uh, the priest throws the old priest body over a cliff by the ocean, which is what he, the last thing he wanted to see before he died was the sunrise over the ocean. And the last thing is that the priest Sung Yun spares the wife of the dam manager. He, he fakes biting her. And in the extended edition, you see her get up, look in the mirror, wipe off the blood that's on her neck and walk away. So I kind of wish they had left that in the shorter version and made it very clear that Evelyn doesn't die at the end. I was pretty sure that she didn't die. And from the from the version I saw, I was pretty certain that she didn't die. But it it seemed like he had to let her kill the other two because he knew that he couldn't fight her. He couldn't defeat her. Um so the best he could do was save one person out of the three, but he knew that he wasn't going to be able to get them all out of there. Right. It, 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 it seemed <clears throat> that he was like, he was resigned to some of these people are going to die. If I can save one, that will, that will at least mean something, but he was doing everything he could to make it so that she would still trust him. Because I think at that point in time, he realized that he was going to have to destroy them both. Right. That's true. It's true. And that's, you know, that's what happens in the end. So, uh, which I think is, I mean, Matt, what did you think of that, that last sequence where he drives them out by the ocean? Well, it wasn't a sex scene, so it's got that going for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you and your aversion to weird <laughs> sex scenes. I don't know what's the matter with oh, you. Let's get a strange boner in my living room by myself. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought I didn't think it was it was bad. It didn't like move me or anything. But there were things that this movie did really good. And honestly, in listening to you two talk, because I haven't had a ton to say, like it gives me a better appreciation for the movie itself. I got I honestly got hung up on these weird sex scenes, and it just was like, well, <laughs> you know. Um, so and you you do that really well as you always finally tell these deep meanings and I appreciate that because I everything is like face value with me, so um, I actually like, part of me actually wants to go back and rewatch this movie. So thanks. <laughs> um, when I was a kid, uh, Showtime used to play this movie all the time late at night called Stealing Heaven, which is about a a priest who winds up having an affair with some woman and like I. I watch that thing all the time because the the chick was really hot, first of all. Um, but but just in general, like that was around the time that I was considering going in the priesthood too, and it was uh, it was a nice little bit of taboo uh, in the late night, and and that sort of reminded me, uh, or this movie sort of reminded me of that, and it had been a long time since I even thought about that film, and it it yeah, it's it's weird because it is a movie where a priest just basically gives up all the the details of being a priest. Um, part of it is circumstance because of what kind of creature he becomes, but part of it also is just because I don't think he ever really felt 
right in the priesthood. He he starts out, and I think the very beginning, confessing to the other priest that he just doesn't feel right. He doesn't feel like this is where he belongs. I think I think what it is is he's he doesn't feel like he's doing as much good as he could where he is. I mean, he's working as the chaplain at a hospital, basically giving people the last rites and trying to comfort them um, in extremis. And he tells the old priest, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. And I don't know about watching these people die anymore. It's, you know, it's really difficult and I'm not sure what good I'm doing. And so he really wants to go off to the Emanuel Clinic in Africa. You know, he'd heard about this mission in Africa and uh, wants to wanted to be of service. Um, and I think one of the reasons that he volunteers there is they say that the virus does not affect Africans. It's only infected Caucasians and Asians. Right. Um, so that's one of the reasons that he volunteers for it. Um, and, but, you know, they, the, the people at the clinic make him record a statement on video as to why he's doing it because they've, they show him a slideshow and they're like, this is how horrible it is. This is all the blisters you develop and then it becomes internal and then you rupture your internal organs and there's blood everywhere. And it's awful. And, you know, are you doing this just for martyrdom or dramatic suicide? You know, are you doing it because you feel like this is the only way you can get God to listen to you? And um, he tells him in English, he tells the the doctor at the clinic, he says, you know, I, I believe God hears my prayers just fine. And then he's like, no, you look into the camera. Um, and we don't get to see what he actually says to the camera but i guess he he says something convincing enough for the doctor there but i mean it's he yeah i mean he he becomes because of what he becomes he because of the blood transfusion he becomes a vampire and i mean i think i love that part that he becomes a vampire completely indirectly you know somehow somebody donated a pint of blood to this clinic that infects him with vampirism. And we don't know who it was. We don't know why. And I think that's, I think that's unique to vampire movies. I've never seen anybody become a vampire kind of by accident. And have it not explained at all about, we, we get no explanation about where the vampirism comes from in this. We get no, follow up like uh the hierarchy of vampires it's all just like yeah to just through this weird transfusion thing i became a vampire and then it becomes a vampire story outside of all other vampire stories right yeah i mean that's that's one of the reasons i really like it i think i think it's <clears throat> different uh among vampire movies i mean it's certainly not the first vampire movie to bring a lot of sex into it um because i think in a lot of ways, most vampire movies, there's something inherently sexual about it. You know, yeah. you're sucking on people for your sustenance and pleasure. And, you know, that's, there's some obvious 
parallels going on. I mean, the whole Dracula thing is gothic romance and seduction. Right, right. And you get to live forever. So, you know, hey, there's that. Um, but I mean, this is blended with um, the the central part of the book of, of or the central part of the movie of Teju's life uh, where she's abandoned um, to this woman married to a sickly son, runs a shop with her mother-in-law to support the son, has an affair with a childhood friend of her husband's and conspires to murder the husband and the wife and the lover sort of slide into madness. It's all from a book by Emile Zola called Therese Raquin. Um, this is French novel. And so this is a, an adaptation of it, turning it into a Korean vampire story, which I think is kind of amazing. Um, you know, and this, I'm not sure if this is the first adaptation by the director, Park Chan-wook, um, but he went on later to adapt another story. He adapted Fingersmith into the movie from last year called The Handmaiden, uh, which is an absolutely gorgeous movie. Uh, it's the same cinema cinematographer who did this movie. Um, and he's just got this knack, I think, for making these stories really fit the culture it doesn't seem like a transplanted story. It seems like one that's uh, organically his own. I didn't realize he was the the guy who did Snowpiercer as well. No, Snowpiercer <laughs> is uh, Bong Joon Ho. Oh, then what am I looking at? But no, Park uh, Chan Wook, Park Chan -wook uh, did Old Boy, uh, Lady Vengeance, Sympathy for Mister Vengeance. Um, he was the he was the producer on Snowpiercer. That's what it is. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah, and he did Stoker in English, uh, which is a really interesting movie. Um, but I mean, there's, you know, it's it's also interesting because there's no there's no native vampire lore in Korea. Um. The closest thing they have to a vampire in East Asia in their mythology is the Chinese sort of the hopping vampire, they call the it. Hopping pee-pee vampires, yes. Yes. And really, that's more, it's almost a cross between a ghost and a zombie and a vampire. It's this, right. uh, this thing called a jiangxi, which um, hops after you. It's, it's something that, has, that is undead. It comes after you and tries to absorb your key, absorbs your life essence uh, to sustain itself. But um, from what I understand it, you know, it doesn't create more by doing so. It's just killing people and kind of like sucking out their life force to survive. Um, and that's the closest it gets to uh, vampire stories in East Asia. So, you know, this is a full on bringing in the European idea of the vampire and all the, you know, aversion to daylight, um, the, the need for blood to survive, the ability to make new ones. Um, it leaves out, obviously it leaves out the aversion to crosses and crucifixes as it's a priest who's been changed. 
um, and he's around that sort of thing all the time. Um, but I just kind of think it's a it's a fascinating part of vampire lore, and there's just you know I do think that the movie is is a little overly long. <laughs> they could trim it back. Um, I. I suppose this is going to sound pervy, but I like the weird sex scenes. Um, partly because, you know, they serve a narrative purpose for the most part. You know, the first time it's he's it's showing the intense attraction that he feels for her and they're being pulled into an affair uh, and she's acting out and finally telling him, you know, the whole time she's talking about how much she hates her life and it hates being married to this guy and having this woman as mother-in-law and all these hor how terrible her life is. Um, and at the end where they're trying to have sex and they, they're both seeing the ex-husband in between them. Um, you know, so you're seeing their guilt manifested. Uh, and the middle, it, you know, the middle is weird because they're doing it in a hospital room next to a comatose guy. Um, there's a, there's a curtain in between them, but I mean, that particular sex scene, that's actually, they're, they're having good sex there. You know, it's <laughs> the kind where you kind of, where the woman cries at the end and you hold each other for a long time because you can't let go yet. So, you know, it's this sort of, it's, it's the apex of the movie, really. It's the happiest both of them will ever be. And so in that sense, it also serves a purpose. Because it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, it really drops. It, and and I agree. I didn't I didn't think the sex scenes were were out of hand. I didn't think that they weren't against the nature of what you're expecting from these two characters. It made sense in the context of how they're used. It, it was weird having the 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 dead guy between them, but that was also perfect for what that scene was supposed to represent. Uh, as creepy as it was, and as long as it seemed to last. Uh, they just really belted over the head with that. Um, right. But it it made sense for the context. Right. And I mean, kudos to um, Shin Ha-kyun, who plays Kang Woo, the husband, for just being able to to lie there with this goofy smile on his face the whole time while they're sort of humping around him. I mean, I don't want to tell you how my old face looks, but it's similar. <laughs> On the note of Corey's O-Face, do you guys want to rank this? <laughs> I give Corey's O-Face an 8 of 8. Oh, we're out of 8 now? No, no, no. Well, no. no. Just Corey's O-Face is an out of 8. Which, don't <laughs> let Matt fool you, it's two fours. It's, it's just done twice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we're going to rate the movie in a three-tier scale using a penis reference. Uh, Nicole, as our guest, you get to go first. Uh, well, the first category is the feature the story, if you will, on a zero to five scale? Uh, well, I mean, the story is not entirely original, obviously. It's it's an adaptation of a book. Um, but how it was brought into, how the vampire story was added and how it's brought into the culture, I thought was really interesting. The acting, I think, is great all around. Um, great performances from everyone. So I guess uh, I would give it like a three, three and a half. All right. Corey? 
I would definitely go three and a half on this. I, I think that it's, even though it it's still it's a vampire story at heart, there's so many different things that it does that it touches on. It 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 pulls in from different sources, like the the idea of the body is sort of a telltale heart throwback. Um, there's a lot of things that it brings together and makes it feel more original in the way that it combines them. Uh, and and the acting was quite good. Right. I, I'm giving it a two because it wasn't horrible. Just <laughs> sex scenes made me a little uncomfortable. Says well, the guy who created the FAP scale. It's a dick joke. You're just going to have to get over your hangups, Matt. Jeez. That's true. That's true. I'll just watch it until I'm comfortable. <laughs> uh, the next category is the attention. Um, zero to five. Uh, how uh, You clearly have watched this movie a bunch. So I just well, I've watched it twice in the last two months. Exactly. Um, That's a bunch to me. Let's talk about it earlier. Um, I keep finding little new things about it, um, but I can see how you know, like twice would be plenty for some people, and once is enough for some people. Um, so I would give it a four myself. Yeah, Corey. Uh, I'm going to go much lower. I'm going to go with a two. It, not because it was bad. It's just it, it is long. It, yes. it feels long. And it's two uh, hours and 15 minutes. I wasn't in a hurry to rewatch it uh, to, to get to the conversation today. Um, it, it's it's not going into a favorites pile, but it is one of those things that's interesting enough that I I'd pull it out, so to speak. And uh, and. <laughs> And and show it to other people. Out, look at it. Show it to other people. Yeah. Take pictures. Just, yeah, exactly. It's, this is for your pleasure, not for mine. Um, I gave it a one simply based on your conversation and my mildly piqued interest to rewatch it to get more out of it. Um, the last one we have is the panic. Uh, was it scary at all? Zero to five. Uh, well, you've got it on your panic scale. Did the effects grab you? Were you surprised at all? Kept on the edge of your seat. Yes. Um, the effects were fine. Uh, there were some surprises. I was not expecting him to be drinking through the comatose guy's IV tube like it's a straw. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. So, uh, did not keep me on the edge of my seat. You can kind of see where it's going based on the sort of person that Teju is. Um, so I would give it a two. Corey. I'd, I'll go a little higher. I'll go 2.5. I, I think that what they did with the vampire stuff was good. I certainly felt um, a sense of, of terror when the, uh, when she became a vampire, when she was kind of stalking people and stuff, she she brought the vampire across as a terrifying creature, whereas he brought across the the despondent, romantic sort of, of aspect of vampirism. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and just in general, the the scenes, the weird scenes with the the wet bloated body during the sex stuff, that that was just so surprising. Yeah, and and, and utilized so well. I, I can't knock it for, for that. I think that that was amazingly well done because it creeped me out. It made me feel genuinely creeped out. Give it a zero. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on that note, you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966. You can email us at pod at gncast.com. You can leave us messages on the website 
Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Maybe you want something added. Maybe you want something not different. That's how you tell us. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and now we're on Facebook. Um, Twitter and Instagram, we're at Podcast of Terror. Facebook, we're just Podcast of Terror. Uh, you should subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, any of your favorite podcasters, and you can leave us feedback on whichever one you like. All subscription options and links can be found at gncast.com slash subscribe. If you want to follow the entire Galactic Network on Facebook, that's under the Galactic Network. Nicole, thanks again for coming. Glad Thank we got this. Glad we got this rescheduled. Now, where can people find all of the things that you do? Well, um, I you can find me at my nine to five job every day. At, <laughs> um, you can find me running the Geek Cinema Society Facebook page at facebook.com/slash Geek Cinema Society. I write all the posts. I monitor it, so if anybody ever wants to chat about anything over there, they can. Uh, or you can follow me personally on Twitter. And I tweet under at your word whiz, and that's Y O U R W O R D W H I Z. Awesome. Corey? Uh, wow. It's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I help my friend publish his comics, uh, Levi Krauss. You can find the works of Levi Krauss and friends over at donutscomics.com. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt the Lifeguard. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Podcast of Terror. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you're a Podcast of Terror fan, that tells me two things. You either like podcasts or you like terror. Oh, if, that's true. Yeah, if you're in the former category, I know of a good podcast that's terrorless that that's, you could listen to. Well, there's mild amounts of terror, but okay. it's, not the, it's not the primary goal of the podcast. Uh, and, of course, I'm talking about 90s percentile. Oh, that's yeah, a good one. It's a podcast about, you guessed it. The Frank's 90s. Alone. Oh, okay. <laughs> the 90s. Uh, yeah, and you can check that out at wepodcast.com. You can also check out our Simpsons podcast, Worst Episode Ever. I hear that's a good one. Uh, it's all right. Next week on the Podcast of Terror. Next week we are joined by Glenn, Glenn Rubenstein. Um, he wrote a book. I don't know much about the book. I really should have done more research. Um, I, I read some of it on my plane trip back. Oh, uh, Glenn Good. is it dear old friend of mine uh he's actually how i got into doing these podcasts in the first place really i didn't know that that's awesome yeah i met glenn um on sci-fi geeks club way back when um, yeah so i'm looking forward to it it should be a lot of fun he seems to really know his shit so we're gonna be talking about a, a movie called the final girls and he wants to make sure that we point out that it is not to be confused with the movie the final girl which sucked uh, yeah, I was kind of, I was hoping that it was this one, yep. although I don't know that I realized that there was a difference between them, but uh, <laughs> this is the one that I was expecting that it was, and I've been looking forward to seeing this, so this is a good excuse. Good. I didn't know if that was a good or a bad thing, but I saw that it was starring maybe Funke, and uh, that was enough for me. So that will be next week. Glenn Rubenstein, The Final Girls, make sure you get the right one. It is the one from 2015. There's a link in the show notes in case... In case you don't go that route and you just go rogue, is the one that is directed by Todd Strauss Schlussen. Schulzen. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Here we'll talk to you guys next week. Stay scared, everybody. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to gncast.com. That's gncast.com. <laughs>